You're listening to And hey, welcome to the Good Pop Culture Club. It's episode 56. My name is Marvin Yue, and joining me, as always, to talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days, we have self-proclaimed professional Asian-American Jess Ju. I can't wait for AAPI month to be over, Marvin. <laughs> We're like She's tired. Two-thirds of the way through. Oh, thank God. <laughs> you just got done with collaboration, right? No, that's this Saturday. This is my oh my god. Here, so, uh, oh. Yeah, how are you standing? Or um, sitting, I'm I not, guess. I'm sitting. I'm, you know, this chair is terrible. How are you back. alive? Um, well, I'm looking forward to a giant ass sleep at the end of Saturday. So I believe man. in you. <laughs> you can do it. Also joining us, professional culture editor, Han Win. Hey, Han. Hey. How are you? You just got, you are joining us <laughs> right after getting your second vaccine dose, which is impressive. Um, we try to accommodate your uh, vaccination schedule to no avails. Now we are getting you at your absolute worst. So I apologize, but it's going to be well, a fun yeah, episode. We'll see. Apparently it's 24 hours and that's going to be my worst. So um <laughs> But who knows? Like, I mean, I'm already feeling bad, which is weird. Um, so I don't know what's up with that. But you know, Do you I feel uh, the five G's coursing through your bloodstream. That strength. might be a, maybe I'm not compatible with the five G's, and that's why I'm not feeling great. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So you know, hopefully by the time you hear this, I will have come out on the other side. Yeah. Well, whew, we have a jam-packed episode for you today because. Uh, <laughs> In case y'all don't know, the long-awaited Fast 9, um, is there a name for Fast 9? What is the special F9, name? F9, I think people are, uh, that's the hashtag that the Twitter handle has. So Fast 9 or F9? It's F9. Yeah, it's F9. It's just F9. It's F9, but Twitter seems to believe it's Fast 9 because some reviews came out, and so people don't know what the hashtag is. Well, I mean, I think that's that's dumb because we had Fast 6. Yeah, but it is F9. It's F9. It is F9. All of my publicity people are emailing me about it. So, yes. Okay, so um, long story short, we are recapping all of the Fast and Furious movies leading up to F9's release. Um, this episode, we're talking about Fast and the Furious 1 through 4. And going back and watching all these films all over again, I realized there is no naming convention for this entire series, which is impressive. Because the series was not planned, Marvin. <laughs> they were just like, oh, shit, people like this. We got to keep making them. <laughs> but, you know, what I noticed, though, is like maybe because... Because of that, like three, definitely they were setting it up like you can't like they had they have all of those tags at the end that are basically telling you that there's more to come. So I don't think so, because three was supposed to be like a one. off. No. Well, three I, was like three but was you, like you, a straight to video thing or something. Right, like right. But then they they gave you the cameo to show that it actually was tied in with the universe. Well, yeah, that t- to justify using the the Fast and the Furious colon. Yes, Tokyo. Drift. Yes, yes. I think yes. that was and that's more why, for marketing yeah. than actual plan of sorts. Because I don't think and, they realized Justin Lin was going to kick so much ass in that yeah. movie. And that's why we got Han again. But anyway, we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Before we get to our recap of The Fast and the Furious 1 through 4, let's find out what pop culture has been getting us through the week. Uh, Han, what's popping? All right. So I'm not going to talk about this first film that much just because everyone will watch it. It's on Netflix. It's Army of the Dead. Comes out on Friday, um, the 21st. And um, it's Zack Snyder. And it's a zombie heist movie. 
Um, not the zombies who are pulling the heist because, you know, they would just fall apart. But um, it's basically zombies, a special breed of zombie like uh, outbreak happened and it, it happened in Vegas. And so in order to kind of stem the tide, um, they kind of they walled in Vegas. And so a few years later, um, the, uh, some, some rich uh, Asian guy actually hires a group of people to go in there and steal money from um, a vault underneath the Vegas Strip. Ooh. Yeah. And it's a huge ensemble cast, as all heist films are. Um, and one of the reasons why I'm talking about this film a little bit is because Tig Notaro, who is a comedian, um, you, you've probably seen her in a bunch of things and she's done her own stand-up, but she is kind of known for the stand-up comic who had cancer and um, said, hello, I have cancer. And then at one of her stand-up things she actually showed off um, was topless because she had a double mastectomy, so she had scars. Um, she has an Amazon series, One Mississippi. She's just really funny. And it's mainly her, her humor is that she's very dry um, and sort of observational. But anyway, so I interviewed her for Army of the Dead because her role is unusual in that she was replacing a bad man, trademark, um, who once it, <laughs> once it was uh, revealed that he had a lot of people uh, accusing him of certain things, they, uh, Zack Snyder was like, um, you know what, we're going to replace him. But because everything had been shot, they had to replace him digitally. So Tig Notaro filmed all of her stuff on a green screen set. Um, wow. And then they added her in. And it's actually pretty damn cool because also once the trailer dropped, people were like, why is Tig Notaro like my fetish now? So yeah, like it's hot. Like people are thirsty right? for Tig Notaro's face. Yeah, with, head with her CGI'd onto this man's body. No, it's her body. Oh, it's, it's her, her body? body. Yes, it oh, is I her body. Oh, okay, I feel less bad now. Yes, let's all yes. thirst for Tig Notaro. Yes, it is. It's it's basically she's following his movement, so they have to CGI her over him. Wow. And um and so that requires sometimes there's blurring in the background if she's part of the ensemble if she's reacting to someone like touching them like on the shoulder then that was her assistant who was wearing a green screen suit oh, I mean, well. if there ever was a reason to use Zack snyder's forte in green screen technology yep. this would be the this one. would be it this, he's found his niche i have to say you know i haven't always been the biggest Zack snyder proponent i think what he's done for the dc films like makes me really depressed however i very much support him replacing bad men so anyway, right. Yes. So that's my question. The, my first question is, um, how Zack Snyder is this film? Very. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's 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 a zombie action flick. And um, for those of you who might have seen Dawn of the Dead, which was his remake of George Romero's film, um, it's it's a it's a classic zombie film where a lot of people are trying to survive. Um, there's a lot of death. There's some really gross things. Um. There's humor. I do have to say, however, that I didn't find this one as scary as Dawn of the Dead. I don't personally like zombie films, but I've seen quite a few of them because of my job. Um, and uh, I've seen like the first like four seasons of The Walking Dead. So um, I do have to say these zombies are different. I'm not going to tell you how. <laughs> um, and you got you just got to watch it. It's also a two and a half hour film. So it's still shorter wow. than Justice League. <laughs> um, I mean, OK, my <laughs> yeah. second question is more towards the zombie apocalypse setting which is yes. in, in the zombie apocalypse does money still have value well it's only in vegas that there are zombies oh so money has value elsewhere i'm sure the the zombies don't care about your money 
Um, okay, so they quarantine Vegas. So like only Vegas is fucked. Yes, in this, it's walled in, world. in with like like I don't know how you call them, but like those uh, those train um, canisters, whatever. Anyway, so <laughs> uh, but containers. I want- Containers. Okay. So what I wanted to actually promote besides <laughs> Army of the Dead is a different Tignataro movie because I wanted to research this. And it, this movie just came out. Totally the opposite of Army of the Dead. It's called Together Together. And it's billed as a platonic romantic comedy, meaning that it is about a relationship between a man and a woman, but it's actually not a romance. And how that works out is Ed Helms, um, who is in, from The Office and also now Rutherford Falls, he is a man named Matt who hires a, uh, a surrogate. And so the surrogate is Anna. She's played by Patty Harrison. And so they're kind of like navigating it because the thing is, they're both very lonely people, um, but they don't like, well, she doesn't want a romance with him. I'm sure he would be open to it. Uh, but she's like, ew, <laughs> you're like, you're 40. Um, so Tignataro plays the therapist who uh, is just helping them like, figure out like the boundaries and stuff like that um but it's very funny movie in a very dry and like weird way i don't know how to describe it there's just a lot of talking and um the the humor is fantastic so i would have to say this is worth i think the video on demand price um or i think it's in theaters too if you want to look for it there but i really enjoyed it um but it's not a lot of action it's pretty much the opposite of of army of the dead because you know there's a baby coming so. <laughs> hey tignataro can play whatever tignataro wants to play right right anyway both of those things worth worth watching for different reasons whatever your you know whatever your flavor is of tignataro anyway <laughs> what's popping with you jess okay i don't know if you're aware but the real eurovision is now currently airing for free live Wait. on peacock.com <gasps> I was wondering, okay, I heard about it and I didn't know where. Okay, tell me. So 2020, they obviously had to postpone cancel because of COVID, but they are back. It is in Rotterdam, which I believe is in the Netherlands. Yes, it's in the Netherlands. Just, you know, geography. Don't like second guess yourself. (laughs) And it is fantastic to experience this in real time with our, you know, European brethren, um, especially given, you know, that we all watched eurovision the movie (laughs) in the early stages of quarantine and kind of got like now i feel like i just understand it more i've known (laughs) about eurovision for years didn't really get what the whole thing was about and it's fantastic because it's exactly like the movie in terms of the performances like if you cut the movie performances had i not seen it with the real performances i would not know Semifinals, really great place to jump in. There is like still like 30 or 32 countries competing. So there's like a wide variety. But, um, you know, like you're, now you can feel invested and start rooting for certain people. I really like uh, I was really feeling Malta, who the, the singer representing Malta is named Destiny. She's fantastic. And. Um, you know, there even is the prerequisite like Orientalist, like casually racist performance, or like Ooh. we love to see it. Uh, Azerbaijan, I know though? you've had it rough, Azerbaijan, but like you know, the songs called like Madahari, they mm. lean into that. And then, like, I did my own digging, I was like, yo, Madahari wasn't even like an Asian woman, it was this Dutch woman that was like pretending to be Asian. Mm-hmm. I'm like, come on, people, is that the That's spy classic. assassin lady? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's like the seductress who like was like supposedly spying for like the Germans 
in World War II, but she like probably wasn't. They just needed a scapegoat, which is like, you know, multiple layers of misogyny, sexism, <laughs> racism. But uh, we don't talk about this <laughs> this this uh this podcast. Um so it's 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 great. Um the the sets, I mean the costumes, the songs, the techno, the lights, you know, the background graphics, it's it's all super fun. The next semifinal round, there's two. They broke it up into two nights. It's gonna be May twentieth, so I guess mm. um Yeah. I, I guess this is coming on the twenty first. Um, but the, you know the replay is available for free on Peacock.com. Don't don't sleep on it. Wait, so this is free Peacock or paid Peacock? Free Peacock. Oh, whoa, really? Even better. Yeah, it's free. I was just like, you just got to sign up for an account. Huh. Okay. Awesome. Maybe this will be my first Eurovision live experience. Uh, uh, yeah, so we should. I you should please watch it live because I need people to text. <laughs> so except for the whole sort of tribute to the old uh, yellow face lady. Um, there aren't actually any Asians to go Asian for, right? Well, it depends on how you define Asian Han. And again, we don't have to get into it because Russia <laughs> is competing. Um, and, you know, it is, it's funny because it's like fairly diverse. You know, there's a, like the, the, the Maltese singer I really like is Nigerian Maltese. So yeah. she's a black woman. I mean, woman. technically the stands are Asia, right? The stands are Asia. The genres are Asia. Um, you know, it's, it is very international. Mm. Um, you know, I I kind of like <laughs> I was just like awkward. I liked Israel's performance, but there was yeah. <laughs> we can't really <laughs> back them right now. So, but I'm also like that's like funny coming from an American. Like yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm very excited for next the next performance. I I like they are singing in a lot of the songs are in English, but some of them like the Ukrainian group saying woman sang in ukrainian and she was very intense which i appreciated i'm um, just like this is fun like it's like it's like sports but i care about it <laughs> <laughs> oh there was one asian i i looked this up the australia who spoiler she did not make it to the next round she did not qualify for the next round she's part filipino oh. so we got some flavor in there Nice. Some so, some some sprinkles in there, <laughs> but watch it, please watch it. I need people to talk to this about. <laughs> <sighs> All right, that that's sorted out. My plans for the week. Um, <laughs> Marvin, how about you? What's popping? Oh man! So, like I mentioned at the top of the show, I haven't really had time to do anything because I have a big event that I'm helping produce for Asian Pacific American Heritage Month on, on Saturday. It's the um, 2021 Empowered Creative Leadership Conference. It's a creative leadership conference for Asian Americans um, brought to you by a collaboration that I'm helping produce. So yeah, it's going to be a bunch of really cool panels. It's free to attend on Saturday starting at 10 a.m. Pacific time. Um, if you're interested, check, out, check it out at empower.collaboration.org. But other than that, the only other real thing of pop culture that I really am keeping tabs on is still Top Chef. So um, once again, uh, we bring you another edition of our Go Asian segment for Yay. Top Chef. Um, this past week, um, we got one of our Asians back. Jamie clawed her way back, winning Last Chance Kitchen to get back into the competition. And so we're back at three Asians until the end of the episode when we lost another one. What? I was about to say, full force Asian and then... Oh. Yeah. And I like this Asian. I liked Av- Avishar so much. <laughs> I feel like he's like the only chef on this season that had some personality. Everyone else is kind of boring. As much as I love them and they're lovely like little mushrooms, they're kind of boring. 
I think they're fine. I think they have personality. Mm, I'm fine with the lower stakes. Like I'm fine with the everyone helping each other. Like great, great British Bake Off pace of this season. I don't need P Gate. I don't need. It's called. It's called Top Chef Marvin, not nicest chef. (laughs) Huh. But uh, not only did Jamie come back, she also won the elimination challenge, which was a World Central Kitchen takeout challenge where um, the chefs created takeout lunches for frontline mm. workers, which was really cool. Um, she won with her kimchi tofu soup with bulgogi, braised pork, eggplant, and steamed rice, which looked really good. It looked like a um, just a Vietnamese box lunch. I love it. I love it. Representing and coming in strong with the Vietnamese stuff again. So. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if she used full grain rice or like broken rice, you know? Hmm. Do they have broken rice? Because wasn't showed up being like they only have basmati, and he's like, <laughs> I don't want to use that. Well, Shoda did coast on his immunity um, with his post chicken legs, which didn't look that bad, but I guess wasn't elevated enough for the judges. That got like a little like borderline, a little racist because I was like, I eat a lot of poached chicken skin as a Chinese person. Yes, like, I mean, I I think there's a thing in general, like even when it, when when we're talking about like is it Hainan chicken and rice. Mm-hmm. where people who don't really grow up with it have a hard time understanding it. And a lot of times it is just boiled. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nothing wrong with boiled chicken. But the bummer of the episode again was when Avishar was voted out for his under-flavored Indian food, which is just a bad movie Ooh, if you're going to serve Padma Lakshmi. Yeah. I'm like, you fucked up cooking rice multiple times. You made a, you made a bad cook. <sighs> Rice, but baby, what are you doing? Why is Avishar? Yeah, why is rice the downfall of so many reality stars? It's usually risotto. Yeah, but Avishar didn't like he didn't get kicked out for rice this time. He got kicked out yeah. for underspiced Indian food, which yeah, as a like a Bangladeshi, like as a Desi American, seems kind of egregious. Yeah, that's a shame. Weren't you like blaming Ohio, Marvin? <laughs> well, I mean, how much of it is because he has to make a living I cooking mean, food? Not- yeah, but it's also like no excuse because this is Top Chef. So, <laughs> so the bromance, the Shota Avishar bromance is over. Except on their Gone Instagram. <laughs> they are still very cute. You know, like in real life, they did a, a Harold and Kumar themed burger. Yes, pop yes. so cute. <laughs> Like, y'all are too cute. It's, that's, they're that's so the cute. Sweetest. Please give them, just give them a reality show. Like, let Spin them host show. some show. Spin off yeah. cooking show. Whatever yeah. it is they want to do. Maybe <laughs> it's about burgers. I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm excited for this week because excited and also um, a little, a little um, apprehensive. Apprehensive, yes. Um, because it is restaurant week, which is usually the week where my favorites get kicked out. So, uh, We'll see what happens. <sighs> restaurant, restaurant wars, man. <laughs> I can't wait. That I mean, like, if there's no drama in restaurant wars, then I don't know what to say about the season. Restaurant wars breaks my heart almost like <laughs> every single time. So I, I can't even imagine what it is like for them. Well, um, we're two for three again. Um, Jamie and Afishar switched places, but still looking pretty good for a go Asian finish for Top Chef. So we'll keep watching until either one of them wins or they all get kicked out. But with that, that will do it for this week's edition of What's Poppin'. Uh, when we come back, we're going to take it to the street for some illegal street racing <laughs> in our Fast and the Furious <laughs> recap. Vroom, vroom.
Hey, I'm Phil Yu, and you may know me from a blog called Angry Asian Man. And I'm Jeff Yang, author, journalist, and celebrity dad. We host a podcast called They Call Us Bruce, an unfiltered conversation about what's happening in Asian America. Each week or so, we host a discussion about some of the most vital and interesting topics in our pop culture and our community, bringing in guests who are shaping and informing this thing called Asian America from Hollywood to D.C. and beyond. Uh, We've got media, entertainment, food, family, politics, representation, the good, the bad, the WTF of it all. So check us out wherever you get your podcasts or at theycallsbruce.com. Peace. Peace. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. Fast 9, or F9, it's finally um, getting its release this summer in theaters everywhere. And um, is it going to be streaming? Is it going to be on HBO Max or... I don't actually know what the no universal. It's it's universal. Yeah, if anything, it would be on Peacock, but not Paramount. I think Paramount has some deal Uh, like Universal, the film side. Um, just watch it in the theaters if you feel like you are safe enough to do that. Just, just go like run out of the theater (laughs) if you can. Like, just it deserves, it deserves everything good and wonderful. And it's been like delayed for more than a year. And it's finally coming out, fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, and to celebrate the just the sheer fact that there has been nine Fast and the Furious movies, the Good Pop Culture Club is going to take a look back at the history of the franchise um, with a recap of all eight films. And we're going to take them four at a time. So this episode, we're going to talk about Fast and the Furious one through four. Um, I would like to go on the record that I lobbied for one episode per um per movie but i was struck down this was mainly me i i own up to this because here's the thing we would have gone even beyond f9's release date if we did that and i I think we should just turn this podcast into a fast and the furious podcast and explore every facet of this amazing film franchise i mean i'm bracing myself for like a four hour discussion like one hour for each movie uh we're gonna try not to do that but um i'm gonna reenact it as a one woman show for each single movie and then i would like your notes and then we'll do it again (laughs) um and we'll just keep doing that until like i've really nailed it (laughs) well to streamline the discussion we're gonna ask ourselves two questions um for each film how fast is it and how furious was it so let's get started with the Fast and the Furious, the first film of the franchise, and the title that will be anagrammed for the rest of the series for their titles. Um, the Fast and the Furious was a 2001 film directed by Rob Cohen and written by Gary Scott Thompson and David Ayer. Um, it stars the late Paul Walker as Brian O'Connor, a cop who goes undercover to infiltrate the world of illegal street racing in L.A. Uh, to find out who's been jacking trucks on the freeway. Uh, but gets in a little too deep as he bonds with Dominic Toretto, played by Vin Diesel, um, the leader of the racing team he joins. And so um, the Fast and Furious 1, rewatching it, I was actually, this is probably the only movie that I remember watching in theaters. Um, the other films I kind of watched after it came out on streaming. But I kind of forgot how the Fast and Furious was like an actual movie. <laughs> like a serious grounded action movie. I mean, it was pretty much point break, but cars, you know, it's, yes. it's the point break formula. Um, but with more diversity, I guess. Um, the the cast was pretty diverse. The the people of color weren't just the bad guys, but um the main I mean, okay, Dominic Toretto, he's supposed to, is he supposed to be Latinx or is he like I think they're Italian. Mia and Dominic uh Dom Toretto. Right. 
It sounds Italian to me. I mean, so so Vin Diesel is the, it. Everyone has claimed Vin Diesel because he is ethnically ambiguous, right? In, Just like in the our rock. American context, and in the context of the film, yes. In this film, yes, he's definitely supposed to be like white, and then they realized it was much cooler to like give him some like Latin flavor, and the rest of the franchise really rolls with it, and like therefore you can put him in context like Cuba. And Brazil, you know, and like Costa Rica or whatever, wherever they end up on the beach. So then it totally. <laughs> well, th- but not to jump ahead, but that also opens up the door for having John Cena play his brother in F9. I yeah. mean, you know, families are complicated and like everyone has like, like it's fine. It's fine. But yeah, Toretto, like, he, I mean, he speaks like he has connections in cute. I think in this movie, yes, he's white and that changes later. <laughs> I mean, he could also be half, you know. Um, and and when you think about it, actually, Jordana Brewster, who plays his sister, actually is like half Brazilian, like the actress herself. So she's maybe more authentically, you know, Latinx. I mean, but the one thing that I did realize is because I'm so used to like the the canon fast crew of like fast five through nine. I forgot that his team in the original movie was very white, like just a bunch of white boys driving yeah. Asian cars. It was it was actually a big deal that we got Michelle Rodriguez. I remember as Letty because, like, she was it 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 did feel very diverse at the time in general. Maybe because there were other people that were not on the team <laughs> who we saw, but uh, yeah, it was a big deal that she was, and they they kind of kept expanding on that as the series went on. Jess, you're the biggest fan of the Fast franchise here. What did you yes. think of going back to the fir- the original movie? So I have a weird relationship with this this movie because I did not watch it first. In <laughs> fact, I watched it much later. So, you know, obviously when you return to like the original, you can understand the love, but like you you were not part of that initial you know, you were not indoctrinated at that initial point. So I actually watched all the other movies before I watched one. That's just how it happened. But it is an extremely formulative text. To my boyfriend, who I think this like like how I watched rewatched Cinderella story every single day, like the summer of eighth grade. I think he watched Fast and Furious every single day, like in the eighth grade. And so therefore, I mean, I still love it. And I've watched it many, many times since that first time. And it just boggles me just how like small this movie is <laughs> compared to the franchise it would become. Like, you know, I like entered the franchise at like seven or eight. And like work my way backwards. Like I skipped around. Like so so it's but like, you know, all the pieces are there. The 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 you know, the the things we love are still there. The cars are still there. The kind of like heightened man drama. That's the thing I love about action movies of this era. They are so fucking extra. Like men being like extra to the eleventh degree. This is more dramatic than any soap opera. And, like, I have definitely done the self-guided Fast and Furious L.A. tour. Mm -hmm. I visited his house. We've gone to Long Beach. We found the crosswalk where they did their final race. So it's, like, very local. It feels like a very local movie. It it is. (laughs) That is something that I was struck by because I forgot about that. So many things are said in L.A., but I felt like this one 
really called attention to certain um, landmarks like, hey, you know, go to that Cuban restaurant, cha-cha-cha, you know, <laughs> and um, all the street signs, stuff like that. So I was like, okay, I, I'm feeling this. Um, I, I kind of appreciated that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like, let's be real. The baddies in this one is an Asian gang. Where else are you going to get that? Like, in the United <laughs> yeah. States. I was like, yes, this is, they freaking blow up a car in the OC Plaza, right? Like, I've been, we've all been to that plaza. Yeah. <laughs> one thing that I did notice while watching these four films is just all the surprised Asian cameos that I forgot these people were in this film. Like, I forgot Reggie Lee was in the first one. I forgot Leonardo Nam was in the third yeah. one. <clears throat> Ron Yoon on the on, in the fourth one was a surprise to me as well. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's always fun when you see the like, hey, friend, surprise friend in this movie. Uh, yeah. Han, what did you think about um, <laughs> the Vietnamese, about, uh, Rick the Vietnamese portrayal of Johnny Tran? <laughs> well, uh, for the record, at least throughout all the four films we've seen so far, none of the Vietnamese people have been played by Vietnamese people that I can tell. Um, at least the leads who have names <laughs> or the sub at least Rick Yoon. <laughs> love him um i look i see why they made him the lead of the bad guys as far as like the vietnamese bad guys um he's got the he's got the cheekbones man um and then i feel bad for him because i he's kind of typecast as bad guy asian yeah, bad guy right because he did that he played asian bad guy for um olympus that james fallen. bond movie yeah too. i saw that too and then i you know <laughs> Maybe if he doesn't mind, I guess that's okay. But yeah, I, I think this is also when it comes to the point where when you talk about even casting and early on, like we were grateful to have these, you know, Asian people on the screen, no matter what they're really playing. And, you know, he was still kind of cool, um, even though he's a bad guy. And Reggie Lee, I didn't, I, I forgot that he wore like leopard pants. Right? <laughs> oh know, my God, the tips. Yeah, oh my God. So you know what I loved about Johnny Tran's um, arc was when the cops went to bust him and that's totally like a rich Asian person's yes. house that they go and bust. Oh, for real. Like, and also that huge dinner table and his family, like, no wonder the dad was like slapping him. Like, it's just like, yeah, I was like, damn, shame, brush shame to your family. No face, right. no face. Yeah, and so, and Reggie Lee was apparently, he was a Lance Nguyen um, that was the character. And, <laughs> and, and it's really funny because, like, I, I understand you get who you want to cast, but I was also like, you know, they didn't need to be Vietnamese. Like, you could have made them Korean. Like, you know, um, Maybe maybe not Reggie Lee, but yeah, I was just, like a K Town game. Yeah, I was just like, you can just change your last name; it's fine. Like it, it's not it's not particular to their actual role, um, what kind of Asian they are. So that's why I was like, you can change the name. Yeah, I mean, if they were Korean, you, they can be Cerritos Koreans, right? Or were or they race, street racing in the late nineties? Though, like that's the thing. <laughs> I, I like, guess were it's, the Korean street. I guess racing? that's true. Like, I don't think the so. Vietnamese were definitely racing and doing street stuff. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, but like there were fewer Vietnamese actors known apparently at the time who were getting jobs. So um, that's true. It's 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 just one Rick of Kuhn is your go to Asian bad guy of yeah. the early two thousands. Yeah, there were a few a handful of people like Asian like semi leading men who were you know you went to. Rick Kuhn was one of them. So well. we'll 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 come back to this because I feel like this franchise does have all the go-to ba Asian bad guys covered in their casting decisions. But speaking of racing, um, how fast was this film? It was, it crammed a lot. I forgot how many like weird, like distinct events happened in this. Like we have the 
Um, you know, we have the kind of that drag race with the Jesse, the the drag race that's like sets off the issues. We have the final iconic race where they're, you know, like the train and everything. We have um the the that like chase that ends up in like the Vietnamese gang coming and blowing up the car. Um, a lot of things happen in this movie. I forgot they they crammed a good amount of fast racing, and I think the pacing was fairly fast as well. So I will give it an A for the fast. <laughs> yeah, I I think a lot of races, but also a lot of fast driving without it being races still counts. I think. Which is great. Like, you know, that we want the variety. It's really about the cars and, you know, the, the just it's a like car porn, right? Like, yeah, I feel like out of all like the four films we saw during this, like this run. The race, like especially that first drag race where Brian races against Dom, that's still the race that gives you the most feeling of speed, even though it's like a 10 second race that takes place over like 10 minutes. The CGI effects really give you the feeling of like gotta go fast right which is something that you know all the other films also have gotta go fast moments but i feel like this this film still has one of the best ones in that first race yeah i i I like how you can see how this establishes the origin story for a lot of the things that we think of now when it comes to street racing and cars because it's like i didn't ever hear of nos you know it's just like now now every subsequent movie i'm like oh where's nos where, like how are they gonna where's the nos where this where's nos just it's no bad lad yeah does her van have nos where's the little like, button bump it up francis uh, yeah and, and then uh so there's that the whole ride or die you know it's kind of established that and then also oh. The you can have anything as long as it's a corona. Yeah. Right? We're gonna eat family dinner, salute me familia. Like it's the blueprint is all yeah. there. I mean, that was just a play on the Henry Ford quote, right? You can have any Ford as long as any... it's black. Yeah, but they replaced Ford and they placed it with <laughs> beer. That's genius. Right, right, right. Although this was um I did find something interesting, which is the, the 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 speech that Dom gives Brian when he's talking about his motivations, like I live my life a half quarter, half mile, quarter mile, quarter mile, quarter mile, quarter mile, quarter mile, quarter mile sir, time. sir, nothing else sir. matters. And like at that, I feel like at this point, Vin Diesel, Dom, at this point, Dom wasn't about family. He was about freedom and like doing what he wants to do because that's that is was why the his character arc is beautiful. <laughs> and we'll get to that when we talk about Fast Seven, a oh, Furious Seven. Sorry, <laughs> Furious Seven. It, it all comes back. There's a lot of. There's a lot of bookends, right? Because, you know, fortunately, as most of you know, Paul Walker does pass away in real life. And they kind of have to find a way to continue the franchise. And I think they did a really great job. Um, But can we also crown, like, the number, like, the race winning car? Like, the best car in each movie? Sure. My nomination is going to be the Supra. The Toyota Supra. That, uh, you know, eventually becomes Dom's getaway car. It's... It's the 10 second car, right? They refer to all the time. It's a beautiful car. Very biased. My boyfriend does drive this car. Oh, I see. Uh, it is very cool. And it is, you know, it's just, it's like, it's like, it, it just represents so much. Like it's tight. It's beautiful. It's fast. And it just represents their brotherhood later on. Is your boyfriend's car equipped with NOS? I feel like. I think that's like actually illegal in real yes, life. It I is. wish. Totally. And I might have to, like, I'm not going to lie. You know, this is very much in a fantasy world. I'm not a car person, but like, you have just said the wheel spinning. And I was like, do you think I could like secretly install it for his, like, as a birthday surprise? 
<laughs> or is that you can how how illegal is it? Is it like well, you, you know, know, like you, you know, like weed was illegal before, but like oh, you can or is it like you murdered someone? Illegal you can at least skin? give him some red buttons, um, whatever they do that might be different <laughs> from what they actually you know would do in the movie. But that would be a very legal upgrade. Which just give him some buttons. <laughs> I feel like as long as you don't use it, it's just a fix-it ticket. But if you use it, then it's like a, I don't know, it's probably a felony somewhere, right? <sighs> okay, I have to look into this. Yeah. I I do like the Supra. Uh, when I was in high school, which is when this movie came out, I was super into Mitsubishi. So the, the Lancer Evo was definitely cool for me. Uh, but yeah, the Supra, they brought it back recently, right? Yes, but it looks very different. Mm. Yeah, it, there's... Like, they they re-released it. It looks very different though. My dream car in high school is actually the Prelude. I really love the Prelude. <laughs> no one's ever like, yeah, I really want like a Volvo. Yeah. Just like <laughs> responsible, good mileage. Ma- Mazda Miata. Good in accidents. <laughs> All right. How furious was this movie? <laughs> Pretty furious. Lots of aggro energy. Um, forgot how aggro like the Asian gang is. Doesn't he like douse someone in gasoline? This is very aggro. And, you know, Dom, Vince, Johnny, like, there's a lot of just angry bro energy. Yeah, a lot of bro film. angry energy, a lot of toxic masculinity, but that's, you know. Yeah. I, I have to say, looking back on it, um, like, we knew that there was a lot of uh, uh, objectification and stuff like that of women, especially w- around the races, but it was just like, Oh my fucking god! Like when I was watching it, I was like, "How many times?" And I know it's we're gonna still get like scantily clad women, but I am very much waiting for when the sh- movie shift to creating slightly better characters. Because like for the love interest, they kind of give them a little bit of like more than just like skimpy clothes, but they really are only love interests at this point. So I mean, that entire like sandwich bar scene has Mia leaned over on that counter like with her butt out right yeah and it's fine i i, I think it's totally fine if we're objectifying everyone because you know like they call paul walker, walker like pretty like a lot which is true um, he is very pretty yeah though. and so it's i'm totally fine with like a lot of hot people looking hot my thing is when it's just that's their only function <laughs> so yeah and anytime we get to a racing it always gets gross with like the flag girls yes. and like there's that weird um you know, like uh, I, I forgot Jaw Rule was in this movie, and you know, like, <laughs> every movie you know, has and Monica. She's like, if you win, you get this, yes. and she just like lets him. She puts his hand on her boob. I was like, no woman has ever, yeah, has ever the- done that, sir. I'm so sorry to reverse the fantasy, guys. The winning of women as a prize just really like, bleh. yeah. But honestly, the most aggro part of this entire movie, the soundtrack. It is all white, aggro, rock like Limp Bizkit. That's true. Except for yeah, Ja Rule. Yeah. Very, very uh, time capsule like early 2000s, because like that is so far from what the soundtrack is now. The soundtrack is like now all just like reggaeton and like <laughs> Spanish language, like um, well, even the know, second film. and stuff. The second film gets like a lot ludicrous, um, but yeah, the the fa- I forgot the the level of like limp biscuit they rely on for key moments in this movie and like Roland, the song Roland. Yeah, yeah. Like, they. Roland. I mean, the thing is, they have to have a rapper in each movie, and then the rapper gets one song, you know, on the soundtrack. Yeah. So Ja Rule, I yes. believe, had a song, right? 
<laughs> um, and then so Ludacris kind of takes up that mantle later on. Yeah, it's it's just so interesting how like this is the start of the franchise, and it's like it's pretty crazy, but it's also super grounded. And like I don't think any of us back then watching this film in 2001 could even imagine what this franchise will become no none of us did except justin lynn and that is why he's a genius <laughs> i i very much enjoyed seeing the lack of craziness but also the way that um technology changes throughout the film so here in the original fashion and furious we actually see him looking at a paper map <laughs> I'm just like what? I mean, at least we forget that the charges they are being investigated for by the FBI is because they are stealing VCRs yes! from a truck. It's so good. <laughs> so yes, let's let's not forget that wow. low stakes. Uh, I have to say the crimes are pretty much my my least favorite thing of all these movies, but I do like how they are a time capsule. Yeah. All right. Moving on to the second film of this franchise. Yes. Yes, so too, fast, too, fierce. Too, too fast, fast, too furious. Too fast, too furious. <laughs> a this 2003 is... film directed by John Singleton. Do you guys remember R. that this was directed by John yeah. Singleton? I actually forgot that, but then now I'm like, oh, Tyrese, that makes sense. But um, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, R.I.P. Another person who in this fran- didn't last out the franchise. Yeah, written by Michael Brent and Derek Haas. It follows Brian O'Connor, now a disgraced former cop living in Miami as an illegal street racer who gets pulled back into going undercover by the feds to catch an Argentinian crime lord played by Cole Hauser in a tan. Um, this film introduces Brian's childhood friend Roman Pierce, played by Tyrese Gibson, and Tej, played by Ludacris, who will both make a return in um, a few movies. And Eva Mendes is in this movie yeah. looking looking just fantastic. Like, absolutely fantastic. Early Eva Mendes, yes. Now, this is a film, like, I had not watched this film until this rewatch. Like, somehow I had skipped this entire thing. Like, I knew of it. I knew of parts of it. I knew the, about the scramble. I knew that MC Jin was in it. I knew that Ludacris was in it. And I knew it was kind of wild. But I didn't realize how, like, compared to the first movie, how absolutely bonkers this film is. Like, it's, I wouldn't call it bad. But it wasn't great, but it was still it's campy. Awesome. Yeah, it's, it's campy. campy. It's camp. Yeah. It's camp. And I will go on record. Too Fast and Furious is my favorite <laughs> of the Fast and the Furious franchise. Not the best in any way, shape, or form. I acknowledge that. But it is my favorite. I was just impressed about... So Fast and the Furious, the franchise, is not... They don't have... like They don't hang their hat on continuity, right? Characters change characterizations throughout the films until like maybe like five or six when they get solidified because then they realize oh this is a franchise now like the brian in this film is so different from the brian in the first film. he actually like, ha- somehow he became he turned from like a, a cop who's trying to get promoted to like oh yeah i used to be i used to run with crime people no no that's, no, no, no that's, that's his back that's always been his backstory um it is just interesting because i mean Maybe a little bit of a tangent, but I have a legitimate, like, unanswerable question. Brian, Paul Walker as Brian O'Connor mm-hmm. being, you know, we learned the backstory that he was sent to Juvie and has gotten mixed up in some shit. Who, what the fuck did he do as a little white boy, blonde hair, blue eyed white boy named Brian O'Connor? What do you think that he did that was so bad that they fucking sent him to Juvie for it? Like, like. He killed somebody, right? Like, he legitimately killed somebody. I feel like like he jacked cars, 
is my my assumption. I, they would have let him go. He was my, a little white boy. My my actually my in Barstow. No, my reading of it was that he didn't actually go to juvie, and that was all a backstory. <laughs> like for a fake backstory. So when he's he was a co- like a cop or something. I don't know. No, he says. I mean, he, he knows Tyrese. Yes. Yes. No. From juvie. That's true. <laughs> well, and, th- and enough to call him back up and be like, "Hey, like it's been years." Well, I, I you know, I'm thinking you want to do this job with me. Whoever, whoever's car he jacked had a lot of money and a lot of influence. So that's that's my opinion. Then <laughs> in Barstow, in Barstow, my favorite part about just like the um the discourse about this film is I remember seeing a video where they counted how many bros are in this movie. Like in this script. That is actually where I say there's no continuity. Because for me, like story doesn't really matter too much to me. But the fact that he all of a sudden has an, uh, a personality um, <laughs> and and that he has a lot of like chutzpah in this film. The first one, maybe it's because he's undercover. He's not doing anything. But this one, he's like driving backwards. He's flipping people off. He's like doing the stare and the drive. Like all of that is totally different from the first one that we saw him so i was just and like we're gonna, we're gonna come back to this in the fourth one because the fourth <laughs> one he becomes a different character again yeah so i'm just like is it because he was a cop in the first one here he's not there are a two cop. brian's brian is like inherently the choice of them brian like using my deep character analysis <laughs> the choice of them brian o'connor was was he gonna be a man of the law or was he gonna be this like you know criminal quote unquote criminal and like that is, I think, what he was always inherently fighting against. And ultimately, we know what choice he makes. And it's no like it's no secret that he continually makes the same choice in every movie. You know, like, so it's so funny. Like, that's kind of like a central question. Like, no, you're going to you're a criminal, dude. Like, you're going to like you're like a not even a criminal, like a renegade, a rogue. Like, you're a rogue. Let's just call him that. So, so yeah. So tangent then, because the original film was based on Point Break. Do you think if we look in the future, like Point Break 2? Johnny Utah becomes a crime surfer. I think there was a yeah, point. He would have just joined the surfer crew. Yes. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's so cool. Why do you want to, again, abolish the police, defund the police, just do, do, do crimes. Go, go rob some banks, <laughs> That's, you know? Jessica robbing says, banks. We'll do crimes. <laughs> robbing banks to live your life freely to surf around the world fucking seems like a great deal. If I could get away with it, I would. Yeah. Who does it hurt? Nobody. Just the bank. <laughs> no. They didn't kill anyone. I, I do I do think it's interesting that like from the very beginning, this has been sort of an anti-cop um franchise. And I wonder how much more it will become because, you know, after a while it just gets such on such a big scale that it's not just the cops that we care about. Like I mean, in the film, the cops are all just so square. Right. They're, they're just so bad, and, and and of course also the cops they change over time too because like his Which, boss in the first one was just like such an ass, and then then the second one he's like, but you don't want to kill him, right? <laughs> like I was like, no, you were fine with killing him before. <laughs> I feel like I'm not to get ahead of ourselves, but eventually they do become like a government black ops team, which is is a choice as well. But <laughs> um, before we get there, some notable Asian cameos in this. Um, in this installment, we have MC Jin and Devin Aoki as um, as a mechanic and a female street racer who drives a very pink car. 
Yeah, I mean, she's she's female, of course. She gets a pink car, like Barbie pink. Um, th- like, that was the closest that they could get to being creative here. <laughs> I wanted that car, though. I thought it was so cute. It was fine. I liked her display that had a little anime character <laughs> um, uh, doing stuff, whatever it is telling her to press the nos i don't know right um. and and then the rapper cameo of course is Ludacris, who also is half the soundtrack wonderful it's such wonderful a good song. song wonderful <laughs> soundtrack just just overall great movie it gets a real wild we're, we're introducing more flavor with like miami and drugs right we get eva mendez we get like a drug lord we get the more crazy shit like the boat like <laughs> going on driving a boat onto a yeah. driving a car onto a boat like we see the formation. We see we see it growing. Yeah, I mean, speaking of that, like how fast? How fast do you think this movie was? Well, super fast because super besides fast, the yeah. fact that there are many many races, um, but then there's also the huge chase scene. But then jumping your car onto a boat requires a lot of speed. Um, yes, <laughs> so objectively fast. Yes, very fast. Yes. Um, what? So. We've established that this film is campy. What did you guys think about the whole ejector seat situation and like <laughs> I loved the crazy it. Technology? I loved it. That's what a great what a great <laughs> moment. You know, just Tyrese really I mean, there's a lot more comedy in this one with Tyrese and Ludacris, you know, coming in. Um, and we're gonna see that as a you know, just continue to grow throughout the franchise. But that was fantastic. Like and that was some like Looney Tunes style stuff, and I'm always for that. Yeah, and also you know what, Nas, not just for one thing. You can use it for so many things, um, as long as it's with your car. <laughs> yeah, and then like you know, it's just like a freaking cigar, right? Like he made them do all that. He's just it's just the cigar. I'm like, this is this is that's like villain shit. That's fun. That's fun. <laughs> right. All right. And how furious was this movie? Uh, you know what, the main bad guy was a very controlled, angry. Um, he was very menacing, but he didn't go into rages. I, I would still say, you know, Rome, you got to like watch your um, watch your back, you know, once Verone gets out of jail. Um, Do you think that's like Fast 10, Verone's Revenge? You, you, you never know. I mean, no one stays gone, right? <laughs> In this franchise. <laughs> I do have to say when he's very controlled, he's still very evil. He, there's a there's a rat torture that he devises, which if you that was really cool. If you forgot, it's basically a metal pail upended on your torso, and there's a rat inside, and he heats up the pail so that the rat basically tries to eat out of uh, his prison. And we, we've actually I've I've seen this or heard of this before. Uh, it was in um, Game of Thrones, the book. I can't remember if they made it to. I think they made it to the the TV series, and then sort of it's sort of 1984ish also. Um, that sort of torture but i just thought it was super crazy this is when it comes to the camp um for this film that they use that as a torture it's very like james bond in a way but like low low yeah lo-fi but like yeah the fury in this film is a lot more simmering right you don't get that angry bro energy you get like the more like goofy like yeah goofy bro energy going on uh, yeah we will wait for the fury when it comes to three <laughs> there's a lot of fury there all right. Well, let's move on to the third film of the franchise, the the one that actually put um, the Fast and Furious back on the map, um, the one that convinced the studio heads to really invest in the series. Because as much as just love the second film, I don't think it was that successful, right? No, no, it was terrible. Which is why they were like, "We're gonna do this like random. We're gonna like 
milk the dredges of what this franchise can do. None of the original stars are here. We're setting it in like Tokyo. We're going to get it even more obscure. It's more like niche part of this niche culture. <laughs> um, Sure, go for it. Like, wasn't it just like a direct-to-video thing? I mean, it was or... definitely like someone wanted to make a drift movie. And then the studio was like, well, if we attach the Fast and the Furious on it and stick on a Vin Diesel cameo, we can probably get people to come out more. Yes. And like, people need to remember, this is a time where like sequels and trilogies were not a thing. Yeah, there, there was no MCU yet. Or was there MCU at this point? No. Um, 2000. No. Okay. It wasn't well, the Fast known. and the Furious Tokyo Drift was a 2006 film directed by Justin Lin um, with a screenplay by Chris Morgan. Um, Lucas Black plays Sean Boswell who, after getting in trouble racing a bunch of rich kids, gets sent to Japan as punishment. The worst <laughs> oh, punishment no. in the world, going to Japan. Oh, no. <laughs> in Japan, he falls into the local drift racing scene, um, getting taken under the wing of Han, played by Sun Kang, and ends up on the bad side of the local drift king, played by Brian T. So I didn't watch this film until after it came out on, I think, DVD. I think one of my friends Netflixed it, back when um, Netflix was you know, DVD-based. Yes. Um, and it, like it, it was actually pretty good. I remember hearing about like this Fast and the Furious movie is actually pretty good. Um, I think part of my apprehension of watching it originally was because, like, I wasn't into a movie about a white boy going to Asia. He's yeah. also, I mean, look, I think he's a totally okay actor, but he does not have the charisma of Paul Walker. Um, so I remember watching this. I actually did see this. This is one of the films I covered back when I used to cover movies uh, early in my career. And just thinking like, why? I was like, this makes no sense. Why would he be the one you know, who gets all the, the attention and the glory and the, uh, and the mentorship? I've heard, I've heard it explained to me that um, Lucas Black is what happens when you combine the characteristics of Paul Walker and Vin Diesel um, but forget to include the personality. <laughs> oh, no. That doesn't even make any sense because n- there are no aspects of either, even without <laughs> no. personality. But Paul Walker and Vin Diesel have just inherent like charm, very different forms of it. But like you want to watch, they have them. presence. Yes, yes. And and Lucas Black, as much as I love you, and as 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 formative as you were to my childhood trauma. Because of the movie Flash, you did with the wonderful world of Disney, um, you know, doesn't doesn't quite have it. Have it. I mean, let's face it: the real star of this film isn't Lucas Black. No, it it's is Han, Han Solo, <laughs> who is based on. I think Justin Lin has confirmed that it's actually not the same character as Han from Better Luck Tomorrow, but it's basically like an alternate universe version of him. Like it's based on that characteristic. I do think we can forgive all sins because it introduced one of just the coolest fucking Asian characters in mainstream American culture, played by Sun Kang, who is a phen- I think is a phenomenal actor who like is so like he's you know Han is not the most difficult role to play, but just how like effortless he is, like cool he is. Um, I've seen him do like other roles, and like he's great, he's lovely. Yeah, and I'm very excited for him to come back. Yeah, when 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 we're talking about the presence that Lucas Black lacks, lacks, then <laughs> Sung Kang has like literally there are gifts, and I have used one going around where he's just eating snacks, um, 
in this movie and he's great at it. <laughs> it's just like mesmerizing. So, so, so and good. then and then you add on top of that like him acting. Uh yeah, no. Yeah, I mean, this film is carried by its Asian leads, right? It's carried by Sung Kang, by Brian T and 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 Sonny Chiba put in some work too as like the the um the menacing yakuza man. Yeah, I mean, we also get like Leo Nam and Jason Tobin. This is like a who's who, you know, like before they were before they would all go break out in other roles. So yeah, and and I do have it's to, fun to see. Yeah, and I do have to say the Asians. Uh, this is where you get the angry Asians, and so there's a lot of fury going on. <laughs> I did I, watching it again. I was like, I love the racing, like. You know how fast is this film? It's pretty fast. Like a lot of drifting, a lot of cool car mm-hmm. stuff, a lot of racing. Like there's more racing in this film than like the other two. Yeah, the ultimate showdown is a race. Go figure. It's not a crime thing. It's not a well. I mean, it's really it's a crime, but it's not a crime thing. It's not. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it's crime adjacent. But and, but it's, and Justin but Lin settled. knows how to direct like yeah. action. Oh, he really does. I do have to say, yeah, the action, but also just different camera angles and just creative camera what a thought but this film is where he showed that for the first time because this is the film that got him fast four fast five and star trek right because before this he was directing like indie films yes i mean this was his first kind of i mean this was not the biggest budget film obviously oh wait i'm looking this up i mean not big budget then i'm looking at this this is a pretty big budget 85 million yeah (laughs) this this is also i i don't want to say how much of that's cars right yeah yeah, oh, shit! Like how disposable these cars were, is hurting my heart. But um, I mean, yeah, I mean the whole franchise. But yes, it's in particular this one. I was just like cringing. But um, I, I I don't know if this maybe was what inspired like the MCU to go this route. But definitely taking indie film directors who have proven themselves to make an action movie, um, and then go figure like them able to like create some decent characters. Uh, so because here's the thing it's like chris morgan wrote it but you know a director does have a huge impact in how like they decide you know he had help in cast like he had a hand in casting clearly you know and then like in shaping the characters and who they are so yeah i i give him a lot of credit for this yeah i mean when this film came out i think the community we were representation starved. So we were seeing this as like an Asian American film, right? It's Asian American directors, stars, Asian Americans in primary roles. Um, the thing that was the most tough to watch was like this white boy going around saying American muscle the entire time. Like he was kind of a, I don't, I, I did not like his character. <laughs> um, tell me um, what sounds like a hate crime, but isn't a hate crime, but like kind of sounds like a hate <laughs> crime. That Tokyo Drift, that aspect of Tokyo, Tokyo Drift definitely falls under that, um, especially like, yeah, there's some low key, some like American imperialist bullshit. Starting with the very fact that he's only there because his dad is stationed there. Yeah, uh, probably too deep. That's probably not what this movie was going for. Well, it, it does the whole thing where it's like, oh, like his character is kind of, I'm, and I guess that's his arc. But the the first like half hour of this film was just him looking down on Japanese culture, which is... I think more, more, maybe more accurately, it's like it's a coming-of-age story about the most boring white boy in the world when you just want to watch more cars yeah. racing. <laughs> it, it's funny, it is right, though, that you're pointing out, like, this is a punishment when it, it's so not a punishment for any of us, but also, being a white guy in Asia gets you lots of things. So, That's true. <laughs> so he, he probably had an easier, you know, <laughs> 
Of course, we get our rapper cameo in Bow Wow playing. Um, what is what's this character's name? Twinkie. 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 Uh, yeah. So this is why. So this is actually one of the film. One of the first films I helped cover. I don't think I did the actual review. That was my coworker, but because Bow Wow was in Roll Bounce, that roller skating oh, movie. Oh shit! I interviewed yes. him for that, and then I asked him about Fast and the Furious, uh, Tokyo <laughs> Drift, and so I was just like, so I was definitely very interested in like seeing what's going on. His role was whatever, um, comedic. Okay, I mean, let's talk about it. The best part of this movie is the soundtrack, <laughs> specifically the song. Tokyo Drift, Fast and Furious by the Teriyaki Boys, which I am now learning was produced by the Neptunes. Oh. Like, definitely just a better song than any, like, lead soundtrack from a weird third trilogy, like, offshoot movie should be. Is it better than Too Fast, Too Furious? Yes. Yes. (laughs) It is a more time, more place. Um, I think in our like or at least within like the lens of like Asian community, yes, it is like very important to the point where like people, like fifteen years later, are still remixing it, and it definitely is one of those like sensory note sounds where you like play that first beat and like people will lose their shit. <laughs> if I play you, dun, 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 don't tell me your body ain't like pumping already. <laughs> Right, yeah. fantastic! Just like a weird ass song that has two better than it has a right to be. Um, really funny puns in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um, I ain't from China, man. I, they call me China man, but I ain't from China, man. Like, <laughs> who else is gonna say that? The Teriyaki Boys did. All right, we've established that this film is pretty fast. Um, how fierce is this film? Man, Leonard Nam, like Nam, actually just going wild on first bow wow and then on his car when he loses a race just like i forgot how unhinged he was he was that's called acting guys that was really good like i i was like feeling my shoulders getting dislocated just because he was just so into it um i I have to say brian t pretty furious a lot of times a lot of punching going on Uh, a lot of angry asians in this like literal angry asians brian t another guy who gets typecast into playing asian bad guys um, but in real life, he's actually a pretty nice dude. I mean, they're all nice dudes. They're all very yeah. nice. Leonardo Nam is like very, he's very He's the chillest nice. dude ever. And he's the chillest. I like him. That's called acting. acting. It's called talent. Yeah, I mean, I forget, like, Brian T, he brings a different, like, angry Asian energy than, like, Rick Yoon did, right? Like, Rick Yoon yes. is like, kind of cold. Yes. Rick Yoon runs cold, and then Brian T runs hot. Yeah, yeah, I like that analogy. That works. Yeah, and then who wasn't furious was Han. Like he was too cool for everything. Like he was too good for this role. This I still don't understand why he was mentoring this dude. I'm sorry. I mean, because Dom Toretto told him. Maybe, maybe he saw. <laughs> did Tom, did Dom Toretto tell him? He, no, he didn't know. Dom didn't oh, wait, know no, who he he's was. Friends with him. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Late. That's later. Yeah. That's later. Yeah. I'm mixing up my yeah. movie. Yeah. yeah, it makes no sense. Like, yeah, like because he sees him at the the first race and like he zeroes in on him. But like during that scene, Sean was just being a giant goober the entire time. So I don't yeah. know what, what it, like drew him in. It reminds me of Karate Kid, where I'm just like, except that Ralph Macchio is actually very charming. But like, why would Pat Morita ever? 
God. <laughs> like this guy has no talent. No, sorry. Because you need like your magical Asian sensei yes. to come there, teach you. There is that. I understand that that is the real reason why, but it still doesn't make any sense. So no, um, it makes no sense. Yeah, I was like, but but like, look, this is two thousand like three. Literally, probably the only movie that has more than one Asian character in it. Who are different? All different. Who are different and like get good screen time and get to say actual lines and you know like and you know the we moment were, we where, were into it and i mean the moment where han's car blows up was huh. like a traumatizing event for a lot of us asian americans who finally found someone we could relate to and then they he's taken from us it, it it was also the first i think for the franchise to actually lose someone significant like jesse you know had his moment but like i think everyone he was a little bitch no one cared yeah. about him let's be real i mean we yeah, knew like- <laughs> he, we knew his time was gonna it was just a matter of time once you got to meet him you're like oh sorry man i already miss you but like with han that was kind of like a big deal because he was so cool you're like are you kidding me yeah and he was also i mean it wasn't just us right like everybody loved yeah. han like yeah they there's, there's finally like a reference you could be like oh like hot cool like suave asian dude Who's like not even like I also like the fact that he's just like I mean Sun King is like I find very very handsome yes. but he's not like that beefcake like expectation like you know he wasn't like he didn't have to like get Kumail Nanjiani buff right to he would be considered like sexy yeah he was still wearing his hoodies you know <laughs> he was still kind of just like a guy um, yeah he he was not aspirational physically as far as being like buff so yes i agree um but yeah and also the characters themselves mourned han which kind of really showed you something so his character i'm i'm wondering even if he kind of realized how big of a deal his character would have been no, I don't think I doubt anyone yeah. doing this movie who has been like, yeah, we're going to like revolutionize our fr- we're going to make like tens of billions of dollars globally yeah. off this franchise. They're probably like, I- so how do we make this work, guys? All right. Yeah. I mean, I doubt Sung even figured he would mm-hmm. come back for the fourth one. Yeah. I, I, because, I'm wondering. Yeah. Yeah. Which brings us brings us to the fourth one, which involves some um, timeline curves. Um, in the franchise because chronologically um fast and furious 4 or fast and furious um takes place before the fast and the furious tokyo drift just know that three is like this weird like plot dingleberry that (laughs) exists in the fast and furious franchise so these are all prequels after this so that way they don't have to kill han quite yet yeah yeah (laughs) got it every single film after this is like well we want to bring han back so this is going to be also take place before tokyo drift and (laughs) it amazes me how much my brain wipes these movies after i've seen them because every single one that i've rewatched i'm just like I don't remember any of this. <laughs> it's fine because, and then wait till you try to distinguish the them between each other, like later, especially later on. And then you're like, wait, which one is that? Is that the one where they drive the car through a building and land into another building? Or is that oh, the I one that where one. they're on a submarine? Or is it the one and you're just like, does it matter? Does it matter? No, it's all. It, I feel the same way about like Mission Impossible movies. I'm like, wait, is that the one oh, where yeah. X Y Z happens, or like the other thing happens? <laughs> yeah, I I tend to remember them by who directed them. So yes, this would be another Justin Lin. Yeah, oh, which is hard because like four, you know, three, four, There's five, be a bunch, six yes. is all Justin Lin. Yeah, well, Fast and Furious, 2009 film, 
um, is a 2009 film directed by Justin Lin, written by Chris Morgan, who will go on to write, I think, the next few Fast and Furious movies, right? I believe Chris Morgan writes them through... From three. Six, with yeah. three to six. So him and Justin Lin were the writing director pair from three to six. Also, can we just say that this is a horrible title? They could <laughs> they could have called it Fast and Furious. Um, just <laughs> no, <laughs> like, no, that's even worse. But but how do you distinguish it from the Fast and the Furious? And There's then this is no just Fast the. and Furious. This is so problematic for it's me. It's just Fast and Furious. It's so bad. It's so bad. Like I'm very. This is my problem when it comes to like movies where they don't tell you the order to watch them in by the title. Like you need the number or you need something. Like if you have a trilogy, and I already said this before, um, if I'm gonna write a trilogy like a rom com, I'm gonna have like name them each like breakfast, lunch, and dinner, so I mean, you know ob- <laughs> which order to watch them in, or I put mean, the numbers in. <laughs> I mean, obviously, this was a placeholder title that they never got around to changing, and decided just to go with it, like right? the project. <laughs> No, I think that they were really smart because this is really when they start rebranding the franchise because they realize all the pieces have been laid in the first three and they need to bring it back and they need to solidify it under this new franchise they're going to take to, you know, like now we're going to get, we've got 11 films overall. That's pretty crazy in terms of like the same group of like the same storyline because like James Bond is a big franchise, but they've rebooted it like so many times. I think the most, I think Daniel Craig is actually the longest running Bond in terms of movies. And maybe like, I think yeah, in terms of like time, Bond. Hmm. movies yeah, wise, so, I think Chris Brosnan had more at this point. It, but like, you know, like that's still like, none of them hit close to 11 movies total. Like <laughs> this is the, I think this is like the longest running, like, you know, like single story, single like cast franchise. As long, uh, if you don't count the MCU as, as, as one remember. franchise, right? No, those okay, and those don't count because that just requires like you know that requires like it's different, it's different characters like yeah. throughout the entire thing. Well, um, but in, it's like if they made eleven Avengers movies, then I'd count them. <laughs> in some ways, Fast and Furious is the Avengers of the Fast and Furious franchise because it brings everyone back from all the movies. Well, almost everyone. Well, we there's get no Paul Tyrese Walker and there's no Ludacris get- yet. We, but we get the two main guys, and their relationship is going to be central for the rest of the films, <laughs> you know, until his pass, unfortunate passing. Yeah, and then we get, um, you know, you know, the 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 scope gets bigger, right? We're bringing in things like, you know, global drug lord and drug supply chain. We're bringing <laughs> some, you know, vengeance like thoroughlines back. The central question of paul walker's character is like are you are you in the system are you gonna be part of the well, system okay. are you gonna operate out of it the story in this film is a little bonkers right it's <laughs> dom and his crew are on the lamb after their extreme crime business goes international and they're like you know they're being chased by the cops so dom you know separates himself so he his family doesn't get caught and then for some reason paul walker is now a fed he's in the fbi wearing suits yeah. um which didn't isn't wasn't he going to start a garage with um, Roman after the yeah. second movie? Yeah, he was. I want to see that. Like, I mean, we're not. It's not going to happen because Paul Walker mm-hmm. is no longer with us. But I want to see what happens in between those two, right? Those two films. But um, Dom investigates the disappearance of his girlfriend Letty, uh, while Brian O'Connor, FBI agent Brian O'Connor, is also investigating the same drug lord, and they they meet each other and they decide to 
they they realize that they cannot um ignore their their familyness <laughs> their brotherhood they, yeah. they, okay let's be real the central romance is between paul walker yes. and vin diesel in this movie yes. and they were like you know they can't stay away it's like the couple that broke up in the first movie they're like well we can't stay away no. from each other will we i can't won't we <laughs> will we won't we we were like one second away from i just can't quit you mm-hmm. yeah and it's beautiful. We love it. We love intimate man friendships. Like, let's. I'm very pro intimate man friendships. I um, forgot that we only get Han for like the first sequence of this film. He looks great though because he has this like uh, I don't know Hawaiian shirt or like very cool just relaxed shirt on because they're in the Dominican Republic. He's driving a truck. I mean, it's all good. <laughs> I enjoy it, and you know, he gets to speak. In a very like relaxed fashion, um, whereas I believe in Tokyo Drift, he was a bit more like trying to just explain and you know talking it down to this like <laughs> young guy, whereas he can just be himself here. Yeah. All right. How fast was this film? <sighs> I mean, I don't think it's as fast because yeah. this is definitely a setup for the bigger things to come. There's some really great scenes, um, you know. In terms, I really like the race they do through LA to find the racers for Braga. That I think that's a stronger scene than the drug tunnel, like final. Yeah, snap. that drug tunnel sequence went on and on and yeah. on. And because and it's it just was inherently in a tunnel? not interesting because you're in a tunnel. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's nothing fun to see. Like, the obstacles, like, am I going to hit dirt or am I going to not hit dirt? Yeah. It, I, I, I wasn't as into it. I liked the LA um, scene a lot better. Uh, and I could have used. Do... I could have done without the GPS yeah. voice, though. Oh, that was funny. The GPS thing, but it was funny. I because... thought it was funny because that's so relatable. Like <laughs> I have definitely actually have driven those very streets in LA. There's a lot of bridges and like, you know, like weird turns. So I'm just like I've I have I have personal experience with that specific route. So I love that because it's very true to life. Makes it more relatable, I, you know? I also loved because, you know, we went from the paper maps of 2001 and then now in this 2009 <laughs> film, they have this handheld GPS. Like, it's probably the latest. And I do remember having a specific device for a GPS. I think it was a TomTom for yes. me or Garmin, yes. one of those. And Though, can, <laughs> we, can, we, can we point out how a major plot point and dramatic tension of this movie is contingent on the fax machine not printing fast enough. I was like, wow, you, I don't think you could do that anymore, but I love it. That's like classic movie. Like we don't know. He looks like, Oh, we have an image. Oh my God. It was Braga all along, you know? Well, it's like, which is wild because they have computers there. Like, well, it's also like rom-coms had to change after cell phones. You know, because you can't yeah. just like, oh, I couldn't get in touch with them unless they are like in a tunnel or like in a plane <laughs> or something, perhaps. But like, yeah, in order to chase after someone, you can't just you know, call them up and like, can you wait for me? I'm chasing after you to yeah. declare my yeah. love. Another <laughs> great, another really great plot point I like to point out is that, you know, it's contingent. A plot point is contingent on the FBI not knowing which David Park to go yeah. look for. <laughs> because so there's so many parks. And they mentioned that, right? Yes. It's like, yeah, we're going to find a David Park in Los Angeles, Koreatown. Like, good luck with that. Yeah. And shout out to our homie, Ron Yuen, who is playing David Park. Um, And that's just like, wow, like, you know, an Asian man directed this movie. <laughs> yeah. And and, and uh, uh, we also get another uh, fake Vietnamese person. So Liza LaPira gets to play Trin. 
Um, and I, I love her in general. I she like. She was great in this film. I'm kind of yeah. sad she doesn't come back. Yeah, she should have. Co- well, she's part of the law. She would have to like, you know, leave her job at the FBI to. <laughs> but it looked like she wasn't having fun. She was. She's like your quintessential Asian person, who you get to do everything because everyone else yeah. is lazy. Yeah, because she's competent. Um, she understands you, even though like you give her a bunch of crappy, you know, uh, shot glasses to get a DNA thing match for. Yeah. Uh, um. How fierce was this film? Mm. I mean, Dom was mad the entire movie. So I guess that's where your theory comes from. Dom was very mad. The fights. I will say, I think this is a weird movie where some of the like non-car scenes might be better than the car scenes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this was the first Fast and Furious movie that actually had like people fights. Action. Like fist fights. Like melee fights. But to me, that's actually kind of a marker of a bad Fast and the Furious (laughs) movie because we are here to see car races. Like, I can get fight scenes in other ones. But obviously, you know, the fight between Dom and Brian when they meet again and, like, the the fight where they realize that, you know, Dom Dom thinks Brian was doing something with Letty. We find out they were working together to try to clear Dom's name essentially with the FBI. I mean, even then, that first sequence where you meet Paul Walker chasing a man through the rooftops of L.A. was it, yeah. it could have came from like a Bourne movie, which I think was yeah. contemporary during that time. Right. I think Bourne was a little bit later. Um, actually, no, maybe maybe right. I'm looking. It's it's Fast and Furious was 2009. So, yeah, I think Bourne had come out already. Um, and I think the the fi- I, what I really liked was like the that finale scene in the church. Really gave me John Woo vibes, which was really fun. Um, you know, lots of echoes of Face Off, and but not enough doves. So th- not <laughs> never enough doves. Um, but I do think it was like the fight scenes. We're starting to get more like on the ground fight scenes, but that's not what we want. Yeah, Fast and the Furious. Because movie. in the next film is when the Rock shows we up. We get the Rock, yeah, and that's a whole nother level. Like that's amazing, but. <laughs> And 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 so like, and then the car scenes are still more intense than the fight scenes, right? Like the car scenes always have to be bigger than the on the ground fight scenes. I think that's like what like Fast and Furious producers have to remember. Yeah, like doesn't matter if you go big in one one column, you gotta go bigger in the uh, you gotta go bigger in the car chases. It is a bummer that this film is known as the drug tunnel one because that's yes. the most the least fun part of the movie, right? Yes. I think so. Yeah, I, I agree. But maybe it was just because it was just more just signature. Just how did? Because here's the thing. Otherwise, you call this the boring one. <laughs> so better be known. Or you call this like I, you know, like slow facts one. Yeah, it's it's. Or yeah. they can't find David Park. <laughs> right. Well, so you got to call mean, it the drug tunnel one, I guess. At the time, though, this was like the most bombastic one, right? Because we had no idea what we were in for in five, six, and seven. That's true. It's like acting. You don't want to start off at like a nine because you got nowhere to go. And, you know, I think they knew that. They're obviously setting up the puzzle pieces to do something bigger. And the last, you know, the epilogue where they are <laughs> so good chasing after Dom's transport bus to the prison. And then, you know, the, you know, you see the cars rolling up and they split and you see like the multiple cars. I'm like, whoo, that is a that is an amuse bouche like <laughs> one I've never seen. And then of course knowing on the other side how amazing five is, like worth it. You know, I get it. This is the ground. This is like the origin story. We've got to lay the groundwork. And then we can just get like treats like 
just hella treats afterwards. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I want to ask you guys, um, how have you been watching these films? Because there's eight films to get. And then um, they're not all on the same streaming service. So Yeah. Um, I mean, one and two, I think, is available on HBO Max right yes. now. Yes. Um, three and four I had to rent from Amazon. Mm. Yeah. They used to be on Peacock. They keep straggling back and forth. Fast and Furious 4, for some reason right now, is on Bravo all the time. Yeah, and 5, I think, is the one that's on Peacock. 5 was on Peacock. It is no longer because I think they know Mm -hmm. because F9 is coming out, they've taken all of them down. Yeah, so (laughs) HBO Max has 1, 2, and then Hobbs and Shaw, which just doesn't count. Which is great. Yeah, which is a good movie, but also doesn't kind of count within the canon of the 1 through 8. So, um, But yeah, so what I did was I... After watching one and two free, I was or free because HBO Max. But I was like, you know what? I went ahead and just bought the set because <laughs> I was like, yeah, maybe someone nice. else will want to. And then also, what if I do write something about these that I need to refer back to for a line or something? You do not have to justify this purchase to me, oh, huh? Oh, if anything. I, I put it on my taxes. That's what I'm going to do. So. <laughs> oh yes, yes. I mean, and like I. You know, my hope, my dream is that one day the entire series will be put in the Criterion collection mm. and we will get these like amazing like covers for them and it'll be this beautiful box set. I'm not holding my breath on that one, but like I literally might just like commission like my own. Like I would love like artistic posters of the Fast 9, like the entire Fast and the Furious franchise. Yeah, the packaging I mean- would be great. The commentary. Mm. I mean, looking back, now, now that we've seen the origins of the Fast franchise, essentially the first four movies is what came before what the yes, franchise is now. it's definitely the building blocks. And then five on, it just blows it even like out of proportion. Like we, it's like they hit the Nas can, <laughs> if I do say so myself, on these films. And, you know, for a concept, that is insane for production like budget that is insane for like its global reach these movies don't have the right to be this good like i think people take for granted or like people still like oh like it's a dumb movie i'm like this very easily could have gone the way of transformers like transformers are unwatchable oh boy i mean right the transition from the first movie which is like a by the numbers undercover cop movie to the second movie which is like just like a campy crime movie to like the fourth one, which is it's basically the first movie, but like ratcheted up. Yeah. No, Fast and the Furious, you know, lays the first one lays down a lot of the groundwork, the relationship, the culture. The second one is laying like a camp aesthetic and um and humor. Three three is really Tokyo Drift is bringing it international. Like, right. That is a really big part of the latter half half of the franchise. Like you, they're just going to many, many different countries. And then Fast and Furious starts condensing it back together, gets everyone back into the same room and then starts raising the stakes. But again, you don't want to start off at like an eight. You can't start (laughs) off with them like saving the world because then you have nothing to do in your eighth movie. That is literally what happens in the eighth movie. They have to save the world from like a nuclear submarine attack. (laughs) So we got to lay the groundwork. That's yeah. why oh, I'm man. very curious to see what 9, 10, 11 is going to go. I always like to joke that, you know, 11 needs to be like in space. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're or going we to need space. to have like an Optimus Prime, like <laughs> Transformers, Vin Diesel, cro- like Fast Furious crossover. Like 
Dominic Toretto needs to drive Optimus Prime. <laughs> or, you know, at this point, it's like, let's merge Godzilla and oh, Fast yeah. and Furious. Like, let's have, like, Dom Toretto driving up the spikes of Godzilla, launching off Godzilla's snout into something. You know, I wouldn't put it past the Fast and Furious. Um, they're not even showrunners, right? Like, who owns Fast and the Furious? It's Universal, Universal, right? Universal. I know. Have you been to Universal Studios and their amazing ride that <laughs> yeah. has a Fast and the Furious component? In I it? mean, Godzilla is Universal, right? So, well, Godzilla is HBO. It's Warner. Warner, Brothers. but in Japan, it's Universal, I believe. <laughs> I, I, no, Sony Spider Man found its way back to the MCU. I yeah. believe in them and their desire to make money. So, yeah. yeah. Well, needless to say, um, the Fast and Furious franchise, definitely good pop. And I'm glad I was able to watch these four movies again because, <laughs> I mean, I, I probably haven't seen them in like a decade and they're all still pretty <laughs> solid. Even the fourth one, Fast and Furious, which I think is was the weakest one of the yeah. four, um, despite it being like the biggest budget one. Was still fine. Um, was still fine as a film. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was also similarly surprised at how well they um, stood up. Um, besides the obviously pr- problematic things, I was just like, but yeah, I was like, in some ways I could be like, it was a 2001 movie. They've come so far. If they hadn't come so far, I definitely would probably have more problems with it. Um, but kind of just knowing on the horizon that all these other things are coming kind of makes me f- feel a little affectionate to <laughs> these early ones. Yeah. Well, That'll do it for the first half of our Fast and the Furious franchise rewatch leading up to the release of F9. Um, we'll come back with our recap of the fifth through eighth film um, in a few weeks. But until then, um, that'll do it for this episode of the Good Pop Culture Club. Um, thank you so much for listening. As always, um, Jess Hunt, thank you for joining me and talking about the wonderful world of the Fast and the Furious. <laughs> the FCU. Oh. Anytime, Marvin. Anytime. We can we can offline this. I can talk about this forever. <laughs> um, if people want to find out more of your thoughts, where can they go? You can find me on Twitter at just you tweets. And I am at Hanonymous. You can find me at Marvin Yue. You can find the show at Good Pop Club and check out our other episodes at goodpop.club. Um, as always, we are a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian hosted podcasts. Um, you can check out our fellow Potluck Pods by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And yeah, thanks again for joining us for another edition of the Good Pop Culture Club. Um, until next time, bye, Ron. Bye. bye. Brian, did you go to Saturday school as a kid? I sure did. Did you? Totally. Well, at our podcast, Saturday School, we don't teach a language, but we pass along the culture that we do know. And that's Asian American pop culture. Ada's a journalist, and I'm a professor and film festival programmer. We've watched a lot of great Asian American movies, and we want you to watch them too. Come listen to us as we look back at the pioneering films that have led us to today. 